Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for November 26th is Acts chapter 17 and chapter 18, verses 1 through 18. Paul is continuing his missionary journey, sharing the gospel, meeting with believers and unbelievers alike, encouraging the believers and reasoning and persuading unbelievers to accept Jesus as their Messiah. He stops at a synagogue in Thessalonica where he reasons with them and persuades them and proves from the scriptures that the Messiah actually did have to suffer and die and then rise again. Many people then, just like people today, did not understand why it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer, to die. People are expecting this anointed one from God, the Christ, the Messiah, to come and to set things right in the world, but they were not expecting him to come and to suffer. God often comes in ways we don't expect. That's why it's so fundamentally important that we remain humble before him, because as soon as we exalt ourselves in arrogance and pride, thinking we have it all figured out, thinking there's nothing else for us to learn, that's when we miss him. We cannot afford to lean on our own understanding, friends. His ways are above our ways, and he's continually doing a new thing. If we are tempted to do things the way we've always done them, because that's the way they've always been done, we should pause and rethink and make sure that we're not being critical of those who are doing things in a new way because we just might find ourselves fighting against God and what God is trying to accomplish in the same way these people did 2,000 years ago, fighting against Paul, perhaps the greatest evangelist to have ever lived. Verse 4 says, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, also known as Gentiles, as well as a number of the leading women. Isn't it interesting to note how many times the women are referenced in the Gospels and in Acts, certainly in that culture 2,000 years ago and today in many places? Women are not regarded as the thought leaders, and yet people who are more in tune with their emotions and paying attention to how they feel will often be much more open to the truth. It shows us how much we need balance. We need tradition and discipline, but we also need to be open to what God is doing. Let's be open. Let's be cautious. Let's be disciplined and yet not religious. In verse 5, we read that the Jews became jealous, another recurring motif, even from the day that Jesus walked the earth personally, probably 30 years before this now. They found some wicked men. They created a mob and started a riot in the city. Isn't it interesting how the enemies of God, the enemies of the advancement of truth, 2,000 years ago, were creating mobs and starting riots in the cities, and the enemy still uses those same tactics today. Create a mob where people don't think for themselves, 
start a riot in the city. Has anything really changed in 2,000 years? They grabbed some of the disciples, including one named Jason, and took them to the city officials where they accused them of turning the world upside down. And they accused them also of naming Jesus as a king in opposition to Caesar. They are breaking the law, they said. Never mind the fact that they started riots in the city where I'm sure people were hurt. Laws were broken, but the enemy does that. They won't draw any attention to their own sins, their own shortcomings, but they love to point out the flaws that they project on other people. How much was the world actually being turned upside down by this movement of Jesus, this new way of worshiping God? Was the world actually being turned upside down? Was there actually a commotion that was happening Are we doing anything in our society today that would cause other people to accuse us of turning the world upside down? In verse 10, when nightfall comes, Paul and Silas were sent away to Berea, a place that's well known for the people who were of more noble character because they searched the scriptures in order to confirm if what they were being told was true. We should be like those Bereans, opening the word. Many Christians today are dependent upon podcasts and preachers to tell them what the Bible says, but it should not be this way. We should be searching the scriptures for ourselves, and that's why I say repeatedly, don't take my word for it. Read it yourself, and if you disagree, you owe it to me to tell me. We owe it to one another to have these conversations. It's been ingrained in us, at least in American society, I can't speak for other countries, that we are not to talk about religion or politics or even money in public places or at social gatherings. And my question is, why not? Where else are we going to learn from other people? How else do we grow unless somebody tells us something that we'd not heard before or something that we didn't understand before. Our society has been so polarized and divided. We've been told that we can't have these conversations. And with this 24-hour news cycle, we each have our own outlet to reinforce the beliefs we already have. And when somebody tells us something that we disagree with, we look for the alternate point of view. It should not be this way. With love and compassion and a desire to know the truth, with a foundation in humility, we should be listening to other viewpoints with a desire to understand where they're coming from, why they think what they do. But instead, we're not listening to understand. We are listening to respond. And so the chasm between the different schools of thought only grows deeper and wider But it should not be this way, especially among believers. In verse 16, Paul goes on to Athens, and as he's walking around the city, he sees all of these pagan idols, and it distresses him. It disturbs him. And so he begins telling people that the one true God, creator of all things, has done what he's done so that people would seek him in verse 27. And perhaps they might even reach out and find him even though he's not far from us, because it's in him that we live and move and have our being. As a matter of fact, Paul points out, even some of your own poets 
have said we are his offspring. We are God's children. If we are the children of God, think about it logically. Does it make sense that God would be made of stone or precious metal? It should not be this way. God is alive. He, he thinks just like we do. The fact that we have these abstract thoughts that are unseen proves that there's an abstract God, an invisible God. Even the fact that we have memories and emotions and desires and dreams and imaginations, the fact that we have these thoughts inside of our head that don't come out of our mouth, all of these things point to the fact that there is this God who is unseen as well, that there's an aspect of our humanness that cannot be explained by physical touch and science. We are much more than just the physical elements that constitute our bodies. And if we are more than just what this physical world represents, how much more is the God who created us beyond what can be contained in a rock or in stone or even a precious metal, as beautiful as that can be? For a season, God overlooked our ignorance, but that time has come to an end. God is now requiring that people everywhere repent because he has set a day in which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by his son whom he has appointed, and he proved it by raising him from the dead. When he said this, some people began to make fun of him. They began to ridicule him. God doesn't raise the dead. That's impossible. But other people said, that's very interesting. I'd like to hear more. And there were a few who believed him, who received the gospel message, no doubt with joy, because they were humble enough to do so. Now keep in mind, this is 20, maybe 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. Paul had met the resurrected Jesus on the Damascus Road. Hundreds of people had seen Jesus resurrected, and almost every one of these apostles ended up being sentenced to death and giving their life for this idea that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. If Jesus had not, in fact, been resurrected from the dead, how many of these people would have been willing to give their life for something they knew was a lie? Suicide bombers will give their life for a lie that they think is true. But no man is going to give his life for a lie that he knows is a lie. Think critically. He's alive. He's been appearing to people and making himself known for 2,000 years now. No one could ever convince me that he's not alive because I've met him myself. As have you. In chapter 18, we see the founding of the church at Corinth, to whom Paul later writes the letters to the Corinthians. Verse 4 says, He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. These people were going to the synagogue to worship God, to talk about God, but they didn't know God. And so Paul comes along to explain to them more clearly about this God whom they don't really know. Some receive it with joy and some are very opposed. 
It's the same way today. God is reshaping Christianity in the 2020s. The dependence upon what someone else told us is fading away and being replaced with a true knowledge of who Jesus is because he is introducing himself anew to many of us day by day, bringing us out of our old school of thought where we think about this as some religion where we check a box, read the Bible, pray for 15 minutes and go to church once, twice, three times a week. There's been a push in the last 20, 30 years to encourage people to understand that they're in a relationship with him. But most of the world does not understand that because they have not experienced that. But the greatest revival the world has ever seen is on the verge of breaking out in every nation on the face of the earth. Because Jesus is still alive, he does still appear to people, and in the same way he has commissioned me to preach the word, he is commissioning many of you, give him your everything, you won't regret it. Don't be like the Jews at Corinth who resisted the truth, who hated it because it went against what they've always done or what they've always believed, and Paul shook out his clothes against them. Like Jesus told his 72 in Luke 10, shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against those who won't receive you. Go to those who will. And so Paul tells them, you are guilty and I am clean. I'm innocent. I've tried to share the truth with you. And now I'm going to go share the truth with those who will receive it. We most assuredly do not want to be the people who are excluded from the movement of God because he's doing it in a way that we didn't expect or that we don't agree with. I think we all have that tendency in varying degrees and in different areas. Father, help us. Help us be humble before you. Help us be right in the center of where you are moving. Let us be with you, not against you. For your glory, for the advancement of your kingdom, as it crashes and prevails against the gates of hell. God bless you, my friends. Thank you for being on this journey with me. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. We'll see you tomorrow. And for those of you who are interested, I do have a real estate business. It's how I provide for my family and continue to do this podcast. I'm a real estate broker with Call It Closed International Realty. We are helping people buy and sell real property. And we are also partnering with people who have their real estate license. No matter where you are, we would love to talk with you about joining us at Call It Closed for your benefit and for ours. Thank you so much for your consideration.